0: Tonight at Ground Zero Meetings we're going to continue down our Bible teachings as we're going through the Bible and tonight we're talking about 1st Kings. You know just a little bit of a a recap not to go all the way to the beginning but we were going through 1st and 2nd Samuel. That's really the rise of the kingship. You know Saul was put in place. David kind of emerges on the scene. You know there's a little you know know, turmoil between the two of them. You know Saul kind of drops the ball in a sense and, and God, you know, begins to raise up David, you know, Saul's not real happy about that and um, chases David around for a while and eventually, you know, Saul dies in a battle, you know, and, and David's put into, you know, the, the official king, you know, of Israel and <clears throat> things are going great, he's doing a great job, he's doing some battles, he's getting rid of all the tribes. And he's really bringing unity into the kingdom of God. All the twelve tribes are starting to come back together again under David. But David gets distracted and he's not really, you know, chasing after God or doing what he's supposed to be doing the way he's supposed to, just like we do in our recovery. You know, it's all, you know, we're fighting our battles and we're pressing through and God is, you know, great and yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden we hit the plateau and, you know, we, we kind of lax a little bit and, we get distracted by relationships and, and, uh, you know, we get, you know, fallen off the wagon as well. And, and David has the same issue. You know, it's the sin of our heart, you know, looking to, to please our flesh. And, um, you know, David gets, you know, in trouble with Bathsheba and he has a, you know, a few different marriages and he's got kids by a bunch of different people and he's not parenting his kids very well and things are getting crazy, you know, and, you know, and you can see the, the craziness that's going on in David's life through the sin that he's allowing, you know, through sexual sin, through uh majority, of, you know, all these different marriages that he's in. You know, he's going against, you know, God's, you know, laws in a sense and, and doing it his way. You know, so we're coming into the, the book of 1st Kings. You know, David is old and, um, it's really the transition to Saul. You know, I mentioned it last week a little bit in, you know, here we are, you know, David's passing out his kingdom to one of his sons. You know, David starts to get sick, and the different wives start to see that David's failing. And and one of his wives, you know, has a plot to put her son in place in a digit dab, or however you would say it. You know, um, and he promises to put him in place. Well, Bathsheba, you know, was, you know, kind of... You know, David's closest wife in a sense, you know, and she said, well, I thought that you were going to put my son in place. So there's a feud in the family, you know, and David's like, yeah, we're going to put Solomon in place. And so there's like a rush, you know, who's going to get, you know, you know, anointed king first, you know, and you know, there's all this turmoil going on and there's you know, they're trying to conspire and they're trying to have a little bit of a mutiny and they're getting all, you know, their their ducks in a row and they get Solomon down and they get the, the priest in there and they they get him anointing as the king and you know and there's this big you know cheer, you know, and then they the other side knows that they didn't make it. You know, so there's this, you know, fear of what are they gonna do, you know, and you know, they really Put Solomon in as the king. They coordinate him, you know. And uh, you know, David basically has his last words for Solomon and for the kingdom. And it's very similar to the things that Moses had said and the things that Joshua had said. That it's very important that you follow God. It's important that you follow the law. It's important that you stay away from the other tribes. It's important that you don't fall into sin. And he's given these this prophetic, you know, warning and blessing. You know, and and you can see that, you know, it's kind of hollow in a way because, you know, David has struggled in the later parts of his life, you know, and he's really kind of broken and depressed about what's happened in his kids. You know, a couple of them have died, one was raped, you know, and, you know, Solomon kind of steps up and secures the kingdom. But basically right at the end, they make these assassination plots you know, to take out anyone that might be trying to step up against the kingdom. So, you know, in a sense, as David's kind of at his end, it's not the way you saw David at his beginning. You know, at the beginning of David's life, he's trusting God. He's doing it God's way. He's a man after God's own heart. You know, he's, you know, and at the end, you know, him and his son are kind of like, you know, plotting and scheming, you know, and not really trusting God. You know, they're trusting in their own strength. You know, and you see that that kind of gets, you know, passed on to Solomon. Now Solomon starts great, you know, you know he's put in place and the kingdom is, you know, united and everyone's cheering and and everything's going well, you know, and Solomon really wants to be a good king and he's pressing into God and he's praying. You know, and and basically God comes down and talks to him and says, you know, I'll give you anything you want. You know, and I don't know about you, but I probably failed that test. Probably still to this day I'd fail that test. I mean, I would like to say that I would ask for wisdom. You know, but, you know, our flesh gets in the way. You know, and it's like you almost won the lottery, per se. You know, and God's like, you know, I'm going to give you three wishes. You know, it's only really one wish. But basically God tells him, I'm going to give you whatever you want. You know, you could live to be a thousand. You could be the richest man in the world. And Solomon really, you know, he has a heart for the people. He has a heart for the kingdom, and he asks God for wisdom. And God is just like, you know, his humility in, the, in that, and he's like, "Well, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you everything else too." You know, and Solomon really, you know, starts to to put things in place, and, and you see him as he's really uniting the kingdom even further than than David did, and you know, the wisdom that God had given him, you know, he's really starting to see his wealth and his prosperity and his fame starts to travel throughout the known world. You know, and, and, you know, different kingdoms are hearing about the tales of Solomon and his wisdom and he he just intuitively knows how to handle things, you know, that, that other people would be baffled by. You know, and we're watching him as he, you know, really starts to, to put things in place you know and and really be a fair and just king not just throw you know his his ability to reign in people's face and you're going to do what i want you to do he's he's trying to win the hearts of the people you know and you know he's taking on what david kind of started because david had a heart to build the temple for god you know and and because David had been such a warrior and killed so many people and been in so many battles and shed so much blood, you know, God said no to David, you know, so, but he, he got everything in place. He got all the materials and, and whatnot. And Solomon, Solomon takes on this to build God's temple and he builds this magnificent, you know, building, you know, and it's really just like, you know, the tabernacle, you know, de- descriptions you know, in the, in the Pentateuch, you know, that it's really dictated, you know, I want it to be this long and this high and this wide and, you know, I want this here and that there and, you know, this is going to be gold and this is going to be layered with gold and, you know, it's very detailed and, and Solomon gets the best people from all over the place, you know, to, to come in to, to build this kingdom for, or build this temple for God. You know, but as this is happening, you know he's he's really really trying to to bring back the, the the covenant that David had made. So Solomon's making this covenant, but it's like right after that, you know, he starts to slide. You know, he starts to bring in all these different wives. You know, he starts to to make peace treaties with some of the kings that are you know on the outskirts of his kingdom to try to bring peace into the land and bring you know. Peace into these different kingdoms, and so he starts marrying all these different wives from all these different tribes and all these different, basically, religions and belief systems. So you see, is you know he he makes these connections and and covenants with these brides and these people and these gods that this idolatry starts slowly, you know, sneaking into, you know, into the kingdom of, of God into. You know Jerusalem and, and all the different places that you know their kingdom is is taken over at that point. You know, and this idolatry really is is Solomon's you know downfall. You know that it, it talks about everything that the the king should do. You know in the law, and basically by the end of Solomon's life, he's broken every single thing, every law that he you know that every warning, every you know do not do this or do to you know, do that. Solomon's kind of just doing his own thing. And you know, personal side note: this is my opinion. I don't get that. You know, I don't understand it because here is a man with all this wisdom that God had given him, and he has everything in his hand, and he he takes the train off the tracks. You know, it's like, you know, I do understand it from a thinner standpoint. But it's like, wow, Solomon, you had it all, you know, and yet it wasn't enough, you know, and to me as an addict, I get that, you know, I I get that no matter how much I have, I want more, you know, and I see this, you know, in scripture, in David's life and in Solomon's life, and, and I've gotten the Holy Spirit's warning in my life, you know, that until we're ready to handle blessing, Blessing is a far greater temptation than sin ever was, because we get so laxed when things start going well, and that's when the enemy just kind of sits back and waits, and we start to get the job back, and we start to get the kids back, and we start to get our finances under control, and we start to, oh, I got such and such amount of time clean, and I've been saved for such and such amount of time, and you know, I got the new car, and I got the good rims, and I got a stereo, and I got, I got, I got. And the next thing you know, it's never enough. And we we let sin in in different ways. You know, and what we see in the Scripture here, David's downfall and Solomon's downfall, and, and as I've been working with people for over a decade, it's been the majority of the downfall of the people that I've watched walk out that door is, is sexual relationships. You know, as much as we hate that, as much as we want to think that God wants us to be happy, you know, and and she goes to church or he goes to church or he's a believer, and we we allow ourselves to 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 blur that line that it's really you know, these pagan tribes. You know, the Canaanites had all this sexual practice, you know, the Moabites had all this sexual practice and incest you know, and we watch in this land in America how por- uh, pornography is is so rampant. You know, basically there's more <laughs> there's more porno- pornographic websites than there is any other website all combined. You know, and that you can't really even watch normal television now without all this sexual stuff getting thrown at you. You know, even like the commercials to random things would be considered like soft porn like 50, 60 years ago. Like, you know, there's all this stuff that's happening in our lives, and it's so important that we stay close to God because, you know, we see the warnings in Scripture, and I've watched people, you know, blur this line, and it's crazy the things that happen. You know, I've buried people because of relationships, you know, and it starts, it's so simple, like, oh, she's in recovery too, like, yeah, you know what, And now you're using together, and you know what, now I'm doing your funeral, like, it, it's scary to me, you know, I've watched other people get into relationships, you know, it's not a big deal, oh, I've repented, you know, and they, they keep getting into these situations, you know, and, you know, I have friends that are in jail and in prison because of girls, You know, and it seems like, oh, it's not really that. But yeah, it's that. Is that I put something else in front of Jesus. You know, it is that simple. You know, it's more complex in how that, you know, how that happens and how I fall down that path. But the truth of the matter is, if I don't do things God's way and I already have this eroded sin system in me, that I'm a sinner, you know, I sin greatly every single day. You know, and when I, I let Jesus not be the forefront of my thinking and I, I start thinking about, you know, addictions or money or, or sex or women or relationships and I start getting my focus off of that stuff, I'm putting myself in a very jeopardized, you know, situation that if I follow down that path, anything can go wrong in an instant. You know, and so it's so important that we are trying to do things God's way We are never going to be perfect. But if we put things in place, you know, we develop this relationship with Jesus, we develop, you know, relationships with other believers that are are believing the same thing that we're believing in the sense that I need to get sober, I need to work on my stuff, I need to work my steps, I need to stay out of relationships for a little while until I, you know, I get healthier. You know, I have accountability in place. I'm building relationships with leaders. I'm building relationships with pastors because I'm plugging myself in. I'm building relationships with people in recovery. You know, I have a sponsor or whatever. You're starting to build your new life. It makes it so much harder to just instantly say, poof, I'm out and I'm doing my own thing. And that's the way I used to live that I kept everybody at a distance so at any given moment I could you know, bust the move and keep it shaking and keep it moving. You know, it's like... You know, why? Because I didn't want accountability. I wanted to be able to disappear at any given minute to go do what I wanted to do. You know, today I want to do what God wants me to do. So I've kind of put myself into, you know, accountability community and accountability relationships that, you know, it would be very hard for me, not impossible, you know, but it would be harder for me to let things start to slip in. You know, it would be purposeful. I would have to really think about what I'm doing and, and really pursue it outside of just like, oops, it happened. You know, and it's so important that we're doing this because we, we see, you know, men and women in scripture have these issues, you know. So it's important that we're, we're, we're allowing God's word to really dictate the way we're living today. You know, there was a couple things that were passed on to me and I'll give them to you. You know, that, you know, for a man, until I can afford a wedding ring and not go in debt for it, I'm not ready to date because I'm not dating someone for four or five years. You know, it needs to be purposeful and I need to have my finances in order for me to take on that next chapter of my life. I also believe that the Holy Spirit told me, Tom, if you want a healthy relationship, you have to get healthy. You know, and I jump into these relationships because it was around sex and it was around my codependency and around my loneliness. And I'm wondering why these things, you know, are creating atomic bombs in my life. That if I don't want to continue and repeat the cycles in my life, I need to heal, I need to change, My perspective on the way I look at women and the way I look at relationships and the way I look at money and the way I handle money, the way I handle relationships, all that stuff needs to be changed by Jesus. And I watch so many people get a little bit of sobriety and a little bit of Jesus and they're ready to take on all these things that are too much. They're too much because you know it distracts us from Jesus. It's not that money's bad, and it's not that relationships are bad, but if Jesus isn't the forefront of what I'm doing, those things can distract me real fast. And we see that all through the tribes of Israel. We see that in David's life. We see that in Solomon's life, that the man that was like second to Jesus, and as far as wisdom is concerned, let money and girls screw him up. If he can do it, I definitely can mess some stuff up. You know, so it, it helps me to to have a clear mindset and and keeps me humble in the sense that I need Jesus, I need people, and I'm not trying to do stuff that nobody knows about. And that's the way I used to operate. That if for me, if I'm going to begin in anything, people know. You know, people know that I have accountability. I have relationships with pastors, and it's like I'm thinking about this or I'm thinking about that. You pray for it, you know, and I've had people tell me, Tom, that's a bad idea, and Tom gets pissed off. Because I don't like to be told no any more than anybody else likes to be told no. But what I've learned is my will creates destruction 100% of the time. I am convinced of that. So if I'm doing anything outside of God's will, if I'm trying to force my will, pain and destruction will come. I'm guaranteed of it. You know, and we watch that in scripture, we watch that in David's life, we're watching that in Solomon's life, that he's not doing things God's way, he's doing it his own way, and he has every resource at his fingertips, and we see how Solomon starts to decline, and we see how the kingdom starts to decline, and that things start getting really crazy. You know, it gets so crazy that the Lord raises up enemies against Solomon and his people to bring judgment and all of a sudden everything gets unleashed and they're back at war. They've had peace for a long time and then God raises up judgment upon Solomon and all the idolatry that's going on in his, you know, in Israel and in, you know, Jerusalem, you know, and you know, we see as Solomon is coming to the end of his life, he's passing on the kingdom to his son Rehoboam, and he is an evil, evil guy. And he takes that kingdom and, and, you know, and takes it to a whole other level of, you know, idol worship and and crazy pagan worships. and, And, you know, when Rehoboam steps in as the king, you know, there's... You know, there's kind of two separate kingdoms that are going on here. There's Israel and then Judah. Judah is the lower part and Israel is the the kind of higher part of what we would say is Israel today. It's kind of cut in half. And they came to him and they're like, your taxes are too high. And he went to Solomon's council and they're like, you know, if you, you know, do what's right by these people, they'll serve you, they'll love you forever. And he went to his friends and they're like, you know, Unleash hell on these people. And he said, well, what Solomon's was like, you know, his, his rat, or his, his reign was like a thumb, it's gonna be like my wrist. And he just comes down on these people and they, you know, they reject it, they revolt from him, and there's like war between Israel. So everything that, that God had been doing through David and, and even Solomon is now wiped out because they started worshiping other gods, they started lying, you know, I, Idol worship in, they started, you know, doing all sorts of crazy things. That Rehoboam sets up these other temples, like, it's like a counterfeit of God's temple, and he puts golden calves in each one of them. Because it's a representation, and we're not worshiping Yahweh, we're worshiping our own thing, we're doing our own, our own thing. You know, and it just, it takes the kingdoms, you know, there's two kingdoms now, Judah and and Israel, and and it just sinks them. They 're right back to where they were in judges, you know not too long ago they're basically back into that same cycle of complete apostate, which means that they've completely turned away from God you know and god's judgment's happening you know <clears throat> you know as we watch through it, you know if you're reading through kings after Solomon. You know, it starts listing the kings. This is the king of Judah, this is the king of Israel, this is the king of Judah, this is the king of Israel, this is the king of Israel, this is the king of Israel, this is the king of Israel. And after it, each one of them it states, you know, if they follow God, believed in God, and some of them say it's like he did what was right in the Lord's eye, but he left the pagan temples. He left idolatry. Other ones are like he did evil in the Lord's eyes and he, he worshipped this idol. And you can watch it. It's like bad, 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 good, bad, 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 and it's like they're never getting back on track after what Solomon allowed into the kingdom they never really get back to you know the way they were in David's day you know and you start to see how how idolatry you know really starts to be mixed in there you know and it gets worse and worse and worse you know basically Israel as they split never had a king that that represented God every single one of them there's like 19 or 20 of them there's like 19 for Judah and 20 for Israel or vice versa every single one of those 20 kings did what was evil in the Lord's eyes and was like they said he was worse than the last one so I can't imagine the stuff that they were getting into and they were probably getting into the same stuff that the Canaanites and the Moabites and all that stuff you know were getting into the, the Philistines and they were all into child sacrifice they were into sexual you know sacrifices and sexual worship. they were into incest, they were into all sorts of crazy you know rituals and, and and pagan worship you know that we would say is is crazy, but they're trying to be in control of God and get God to do what they want him to do and things are getting worse and worse and worse you know, but God you know <laughs> has a funny way of moving you know and he's always he's moving in this, this heart of love, you know, even though we see this stuff, you know, we, you know, we've all, you know, hurt God on some level, you know, by our sin, you know, and it's important that we see that his mercy is there in spite of us, that we're never going to be perfect, you know, and even in spite of this, you know, in spite of the, the craziness that they're getting themselves into, you know, and how they've turned from God and they're worshiping all these other gods and You know, things are getting crazier and crazier. You know, and even God bringing judgment, you know, and eventually He brings in, you know, the Assyrians and and completely takes out Israel and says, I've had enough of it. You know, and that's where we get the Samaritans because Samaria was the, the capital of Israel and the Assyrians come in and it becomes like this mixed breed. You know, and that's why when we read in the New Testament, you know, that there's the Jews, and then there's the Samaritans, and they're like, ooh, don't go even there. And they would walk miles around Samaria so they didn't have to to get touched by them. You know, they didn't want to breathe the same air. You know, you read in other scriptures where there was a Samaritan sick on the on the side of the road and they'd walk like way over to the other side of the road. They were like, Ah, I can't even get close to them. They're so unclean. You know, and that you know, it's the idea of the law that says You know, this person sick doesn't have anything about ministering to the sick people or bringing justice to the, you know, in in places. No, I need to stay so far away from them. So we see the Jews in the New Testament going by laws and not having God's heart. And that's screwed up too. You know, and so we have to learn how to have a relationship with Jesus and apply His Word to our lives. Allow Him to change the inside, you know, and mold us into who He's called us to be. And allowing us, you know, allowing him to work on our character, so that we're not, you know, falling into these things, creating accountability, creating this new life in Christ. That, you know, it makes it harder for us to to slip up and do things. You know, none of us just fall into relationships like I fell in love. Like it doesn't happen. Like I just walking down the street and like, oops, I'm like getting late. You know, that's not how this works. Like I don't just like, oops, you know, I walk down the street and somebody handed me a beer and I decided to drink it. Like there's thought process, planning, scheming, all these things that start to happen for me to bring those things into my life. Now that does not mean that somebody might say, "Hey, I got something. do you want something?" And we have to say no to that. And it doesn't mean that you don't have people hitting on you and flirting with you, and you have to say no to that. But there's a process. It's not like, "Hey, I'm going to flirt on you, and you have sex on the sidewalk. That's not how this stuff works, you know, at least not in America. You know Well, maybe not in Utica. Well maybe not here, I don't know. I mean if things get crazy in this world, you know, anything can happen. You know you know anything in America can really happen. So it's you know, we have to be careful of Tom's absolute statements because all of a sudden it's like, Tom, guess what you're talking about? Like I was coming home last night and there was a naked woman on the side of the road with a forty. I don't know what happened. You know. You said it wasn't supposed to happen that way, and it happened exactly, you know. All right, so let's back up. Anyway, you know, it's important for us to be putting things in place that make those scenarios a little bit farther-fetched, as far-fetched as that scenario is. But in the midst of this craziness, God has stuff moving and happening. You know, and we see the emergence of God's prophets again you know, and here's Elijah on the scene, and he's kind of a bad man pajama. like he does not give a rip about anything, you know, he's living in the desert, you know, he's just kind of doing his own thing, and he's having this crazy powerful relationship with God, and God starts speaking to him about stuff, you know, and things start getting crazy, you know, that there's really a drought in the land, you know, God's judgment brings, you know, a drought, you know, and nothing's happening, and Elijah starts praying about God to bring rain. You know, and he would send out, you know, his little coworker, you know, is there any clouds in the sky? And he would go out and he would look and you're like, No, there's nothing. You know, and, and this happened several times, and eventually, you know, the guy goes out and like, Yeah, there was like one little tiny cloud like way off in the distance. It was like the side of my my fist. And Elijah's like, Happy dance, it's about to rain and bring you know, the rain begins to happen. You know, and brings life back to, you know, everything and, you know, the crops are starting to, to you know, come back and life begins to come back because a, a godly person begins to pray for his community, begins to pray for his country, begins to pray for his kingdom. You know, it's so important that we're praying for our city and we're praying for New York. We're praying for, you know, this country. It doesn't matter what your political belief system is. That we have a God that has the government on his shoulders. You know, so you may, you know, hate the the mayor of Utica and hate Cuomo and hate Trump and whatever your belief system is in your politics. Honestly, it does not matter because you believe in Jesus and you should want your state and your city and your country to prosper. And that's the way you should pray. You know, I, you know, have my own belief systems. I don't really get into politics. I'll be honest. But it's important for me to pray for this city, because this is where I'm living, and it's important for me to pray for this state, and it's important for me to pray for this country so that we don't end up like them, because you know, if you read through Jeremiah, you know and we're going to get there soon, if you read through Jeremiah, and I was not too long ago, what I'm reading is like this is happening in America now. This is three thousand years ago, and it's like what I'm reading is happening in our country. You know, the, the divide in the politics and the way that the people are acting and all the sexuality that's happening and all the idol worship that's happening. It's like it's like that's happening right now. It's no different. You know, so it's so important that we're praying for this country. You know, in Second Chronicles it says, if my people would humble themselves and pray that I would deliver them. You know, and it's so important that we're praying, praying for the city, praying for leadership, praying for the pastors, praying for people, You know, and, you know, I always, I always hear people, I don't know what to pray about. And I'm like, you need a list because I will give you a list of stuff that you can be praying for because we all have a ton of stuff to be honest with you. You know, so it's important that we're trying to represent God to the best of our ability and not get caught up in some of that political craziness or religious craziness, you know, and just represent God to the best of our ability. Well, here's Elijah. You know, he's representing God the best of his ability and and really there's nobody around him that's representing God at all you know in his conversations you know he's like there ain't nobody else God And he's like well you don't know what I got going on there's some other people trust me that you're not the only one on the planet that's representing me you know but you know basically you know Elijah calls you know Ahab you know he's one of the kings and his wife you know is Jezebel and she 's a Canaanite, so they 're into all sorts of sexual worship and all sorts of crazy stuff and you know he 's got the prophets of Baal so there 's the Baal worship coming in you know there 's a temple to Baal that was destroyed by the you know the Islam destroyed it because it Baal was a representation of the devil, you know, so they even destroyed it like and that wasn 't that long ago you know it 's like you know even some of our Our enemies, you know, have a common enemy and that's the devil who's trying to destroy each and every one of us. But anyway, you know, there's these prophets of Baal and they're prophesying all these crazy things and doing all these crazy things. And Elijah kind of has a duel with them. He's like, well, you know, why don't you get your 450 friends and we'll meet, you know, down on the, on the playground and we're going to have a battle. You know, you talk to your God and I'm going to talk to my God and we'll see which God's real. And he's like, he basically sits back and he kind of just lets them, you know, pray and do their things. They're cutting themselves and they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff to try to invoke their God. And nothing really happens, you know, and there's this altar and and (laughs) and Elijah's just being, you know, to me it's funny. It's like sarcasm. He like pours water on it. like, And then he like calls down fire and God just pours down fire on it and burns up the altar, burns up the wood, burns up everything, you know, and, and... basically everyone's kind of really afraid of Elijah at this point, you know, but it's important that we pick our battles, you know, obviously, I don't think that we should go to one of these temples, you know, there's a temple right down the street, to be honest with you, you know, and knock on the door and be like, let's call out on our gods, you know, but I think that today, as I represent Jesus, that I can carry myself with light, no matter where I go, you know, and I can be praying powerful prayers in my head for what's going on around me you know I don't have to get down on my knees and and and, you know you know pray in that sort of a way that I can have this communion with God you know I can have this relationship with Jesus in the silence of my prayers wherever I'm going whether I'm going to work whether I'm going home to my family whether I'm you know hanging out in treatment or going here or going there or going to DSS that place is crazy so you should pray if you ever have to go there <clears throat> you know and be like come on god let's do some crazy stuff but you know it's important that you know who you are in Christ and that's something I see in Elijah is that he knew who he was and he knew who god was that he didn't have this fear in him as far as taking on bail, now Jezebel is another story. Jezebel's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, peace, I'm out. You know, I'm going to go hide under a tree. You know, so, you know, we see, you know, that we go through different types of attacks and we're different types of scenarios. And, you know, something I can say, you know, because I'm, uh, you know, I have the hindsight of this equation. You know, and Elijah didn't really have accountability. He didn't have a family. He didn't have, you know, the remnant wasn't close to him that he's taken on all this stuff by himself. You know, and that's one of our worst things that we do is that we're super independent and that we take on all these different battles in our lives and we don't let anybody know what we're going through. You know, you know, and we get sick and we go in the hospital and like days later they contact you and let you know they're actually in there. (laughs) side note you know we all have battles and we should have relationships with people enough that says hey i'm struggling will you pray for me send a text it's not that big of a deal and that we should have enough relationship with people that they don't need to know every specific but they love you enough to say i'll pray for you you know do you want to give me specifics well this is what's going on all right i'm going to pray you know, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for the situation, I'm going to pray for your kids, I'm going to pray for your finance, I'm going to pray for that job, I'm going to pray for your car. I'm going to. And we should have people that we can reach out to and say, hey, will you pray? It doesn't mean that you're trying to get the answers, it doesn't mean that you're complaining, it doesn't mean, oh, I don't want to burden them with my problems. That's not real. Like, we have to get over ourselves and humble ourselves and say, you know what, I need other people that are part of the kingdom of God, you know, because we are all family. And we should not be trying to take on life alone. That's the way we used to do it. And how successful were we? Not very. You know, so even though we have Jesus and we think we're, we're tough now that we got a resurrected king in our corner, the truth of the matter is, is we still need people. I need people in my life, you know, that, that encourage me and support me and, and hold me up, even if they don't always know what they're doing, doing that, you know, it's having somebody close to me you know, I'm fortunate that I moved people into my house, you know, I cheated, you know, and it made it harder for me to do stupid stuff, you know, and we read and we pray every day. So it's like I've created this in my life, because I need it. And I'm passing it on to them, and trying to show them that you need this stuff too. Like if I need it, If Jesus prayed on a regular basis, how much more should we be praying on a regular basis? If Jesus had people around him all the time, how much more do we need people around us all the time? You know, we see that Jesus had 12 disciples, but he really had his three. There's always three people that were really always around Jesus. You know, and that's something that God showed me many, many years ago, is who's your three? Maybe you're like, I don't have any. It's something you should be working on. You should have some people, one, two, three people, that it doesn't mean they know every last detail, but, you know, they're close enough that you can say, Hey, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? And they're like, absolutely. I got you. You know, and it's important that we, we have these types of people in our life. You know, <clears throat> you know, that Elijah, you know, is taking on these, this kingdom, you know, and we see that Elijah's kind of, you know, depressed in this moment and he's kind of hiding under this tree and he's like, Oh, I just wish that I could die. And God's like, I'm not done with you yet. You know, there's so many times that we go through our trials and we're just like, I I want to give up. God's not done with you yet. Most of us are just getting started. You know, I've been doing this for a minute now. And honestly, I feel like things are just getting started. You know, like the next 10 years, next 20 years of following Jesus are going to be crazy. You know, and the last 10 have been pretty decent. You know, but I really believe that the first 10 were like a foundation and character building. And you know, it's not that he didn't do some cool stuff because he did, but I really believe that he's got some things up his sleeve that he's going to pour out for GZM ministry and the people that are a part of it that are going to be like, whoa, what's happening in Utica? You know, so I really encourage you to begin to believe and trust that no matter how bad your situation is with your kids, with your finances, with your family, with whoever, that you believe in a God that can deliver food with birds to you. Because that's what happens with Elijah is that he's hanging out under this tree wishing that he was dying and he begins to get stuff, you know, delivered to him by ravens. Now, you can pray that and see if birds bring you lunch, but I believe in a Holy Spirit who's represented by a dove and he can do way more than a raven. You know, so I encourage you to really begin to pray big prayers. But I also, you know, I also give you some wisdom is trust on his timing because you know we pray it doesn't mean it's coming today. You know, and it's so important that we, we believe in a big God that can do big things and can bring restoration and bring healing and bring you know things into our finances and bring jobs and bring healing to our kids and bring healing to our bodies, bring you know, pray it. If it's in scripture, pray it. But wait on God. Because anytime that we try to rush ahead and try to help God, it usually ends in a disaster. You know, so you know, as we look at you know this scripture in First Kings, you know, we, we see you know this craziness that's going on because they let the world in. You know, and we live in, in a very similar society. You know, there's all sorts of pagan stuff going on around us. You can't turn on the TV without seeing all sorts of crazy stuff. You can't walk down the street without seeing all sorts of crazy stuff. So it's not that we aren't going to see it, but we have to be very, you know, intentional about not entertaining it and not going to certain places. You know, this is why it's important for the people, places, and things, aspects of our recovery and our Christianity that we're not being influenced by them, that we are being an influence to them, you know, that we are being a light to their darkness. We're not letting their darkness cover up our light, you know. And it's important that we're praying big prayers and we're believing in a, in a very powerful God that can do anything, that can restore every aspect of your life. You know, That's where the second step to me evolved and, and took on a new form that I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore my sanity. And I said, you know what? I believe in Jesus Christ And He's the God above all other gods. And He can restore every aspect of my life, every aspect of my brain, every aspect of my body, every aspect of my family, every aspect of my finances. And you fill in the blank of what He can do because He can do anything. He created this universe that He rose from the dead. There is nothing that Jesus can't do. That we have to start tapping into the belief that we believe in a resurrected, living God who is here with us now. And He brought a dog. Well, hello, dog. Lord, will you just be with us right now. I, I just ask that you would just help us to grow, help us to understand who we are, help us to to understand our identity in Christ. We just pray that you would move in our lives, bringing healing to our minds, bringing healing to our hearts, bringing healing to our families and our relationships. Lord, help us to put you at the forefront of everything that we're doing, Lord. I just ask that you would break off addiction, break off mental illness, break off any infirmity that's in our bodies, Lord. Break off the fears of finances. Break off fear of our insecurities, Lord. And we just ask that you would bless us and help us to take the ground that you have set before us, Lord. Help us to believe as Elijah believed that you could do amazing things, Lord. Help us to learn from the people in Scripture that, have made mistakes and allowed idol worship back into their lives or in how it's taken them down crazy paths. Lord, help us to put you at the forefront of everything that we're doing and pray and obey. In Jesus name I pray. Amen, many, many.